Welcome to The Advance, a podcast and video series on moving towards Christ-like maturity. Hello friends, it is an honor to welcome you to The Advance podcast today. My name is Donovan and I get to be your host and your guide as we explore what it looks like to grow towards Christ-like maturity. I'm really excited for today. We've got a, a bit of a longer interview, but I think a really crucial interview with a good friend of mine. His name is Tim Pippis. He's a pastor out in Calgary. And uh, we talk a lot about the word spiritual formation. Um, essentially, spiritual formation is, is how we live our life, the things that we do that enable us to become more like Jesus. Um, not just to answer the question, what would Jesus do, as we'll get into, but to actually say, what were the desires that motivated Jesus? What were the beliefs that Jesus had? And how can we actually um, be transformed to react the same way Jesus would have reacted in certain situations? I'm really looking forward to... Uh, to this interview today and I'm really looking forward to what you'll be able to glean from it. Uh, Tim is just an absolute wealth of wisdom in this season. Um, but yeah, we are in an unprecedented season. Um, it's only been a few weeks now. It's almost four weeks since we've uh, we've essentially been told to stay home as much as we possibly can. Um, in, in Edmonton, Alberta, we uh, were only four weeks from, I, I talked about it in my last podcast, but that night where the NBA canceled its season, the next day the NHL canceled its season, and all of a sudden it started to hit home that this coronavirus isn't just out there. This, it's, it's impacting us and it's affecting us here. And um, one of the things that we've been seeing in these last few weeks is is a real uh, leaning in to, to, to not just... Um, uh, a, really, a real leaning in to what is God up to in this season? What is something that he is doing right now that, um, <clears throat> yeah, that we may not be aware of? Or, or what may God be doing in the culture, in us, in these next few weeks or even months that we don't want to miss? And so I wanted to start this podcast um, at this time because I think it's really crucial for us in this season uh, to dive deep into our walk with God. Uh, one of my friends uses the word lean in, to lean into God. To, to decide that, that we want to fix ourselves, fix our eyes on Jesus. And in this season, rather than getting overwhelmed by all the, the news, it's important to know what's going on, but rather than being overwhelmed and giving into fear, we actually look to Jesus and he transforms us, he moves in us, he grows us. Um, but as I was talking to some friends about this podcast and, and we were just kind of going back and forth about what would be good to talk about, uh, one of my friends was like, you need to talk about why it's important to want to grow in your walk with God. You need to talk about why, why does it matter? Why should I care about these things? Um, the whole heart of this podcast, the whole point of this podcast is to be completely practical. Uh, each one, I want to look at a different spiritual practice and, and a different way of expressing our walk with God. During COVID-19's um, disruption, we're going to be looking at uh, scripture, prayer, and worship as three umbrellas and essentially, each time we're going to talk about a different way to engage with God through the scriptures, a different way to pray, um, different ways to, to engage as worshipers or different reasons why we engage as worshipers. And, um, but why? Why is that important? What's the big deal? Uh, when my friend asked me that question, um, I couldn't help but think about um, the person that we're going to be interviewing today, and that's uh, Tim again. And and I'm really looking forward to, to you hearing what he has to say about why we should care about spiritual practices. Why is this something that's important? Um, the other thing that, um, that Tim and I are going to spend some time talking about is what is God up to in this season? 
Uh, what are some things that COVID-19 and how the church is responding and how we are responding um, can be worked out for good? I believe Romans 8, where it says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And good doesn't always mean how I think it should be, but good means God's best. And so what are some of the ways that God is working out his best in us and in our culture in this season? It's a bit of a longer interview, so I'm not going to give a long introduction here. I just wanted to spend a, get a, a bit of time giving context for, uh, for what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, another part of this podcast, it, we live in a world where there's so much information and there's so much good stuff out there. And so one of the things I want to do is give you some uh, recommendations, some things that I've been learning, uh, some things that I've been engaging with that hopefully will help you as well. And today I want to recommend to you the Bridgetown Daily Podcast, Bridgetown Church in Portland. Um, the pastor's name is John Mark Comer, and he's been releasing a podcast every day. And it's just a short reflection on scripture, uh, something that uh, really speaks into the situation that we're facing now. And he always ends each time with a really powerful uh, time of prayer. And so I really want to encourage you to check out the Bridgetown Daily Podcast. It, an awesome resource. Um, but now I, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to my chat with Tim. I'm looking forward to what you can learn from it. And so uh, I, I want to encourage you to dive in, to uh, engage with what we're talking about. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hey, Tim, how you doing? I'm doing great, Donovan. How are you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing really good. I'm really looking forward to uh, being able to share a little bit with you and hear from you as we discuss what God may be doing in the season and who he may be inviting us to become. Um, so yeah, first off, I just want to thank you so much for the time that you're taking today. Um, but yeah. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. Awesome. Um, so yeah, why don't you uh, tell us a bit about yourself? Um, tell me a bit about your church, your job, and your family. I'd love to let the people that are watching and listening get to know who you are a bit. Totally, totally. So uh, I'm married to a lovely woman named Laura. She is my much better half. Uh, and I have three daughters, a six-year-old, a five-year-old, and a one-and-a-half-year-old. Um, that is a ton of work and a lot of joy and a, a whole lot of other things. Lately, the big thing in our home, for those of you who are watching uh, Beastmaster on Netflix, we're getting really into developing an obstacle course in the basement. My girls have been watching this and now they're learning to do rope swings and to jump between pieces of wood on the floor and all kinds of stuff. So anyways, I'm, uh, I love being a dad and, and my family is a huge part of my life. I'm the senior pastor for the last three months of a little church in Calgary called Hope for Life Christian Fellowship. It's a really cool, a little bit different kind of church. Uh, that's probably the shortest and easiest summary I could give. Uh, and beyond that, I don't know, I think I'm uh, a mildly tolerable conversation partner. I'm pretty bald, as many of you can see. I'm pretty into sports. I'm a bit of a personal finance nerd. I like to read a lot, those kind of things. That's probably a good quick intro to me. That's awesome. Yeah, one of the things that I really appreciate about you, Tim, is just your the thoughtfulness that you bring towards life and towards just um, your relationships with people. Um, so yeah, I, like I said, I'm really looking forward to hearing what, yeah, what God's laid on your heart as we talk about spiritual formation. Um, but yeah, what, um, what a crazy time this is right now with this whole COVID-19 crisis. Again, I'm not sure when you're watching this, you may be watching this a few years after the crisis, you may be watching this right as we release it, but, uh, we're still relatively, it feels like we're relatively early in it, but we've already been in this for a few weeks now. Yeah. You know, sure. I believe that like, I think it was 
three Thursdays ago that the NHL and NBA canceled their seasons. And that's kind of when it hit home. I don't know when it hit home for you, but that's kind of when it hit home for me. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It was when we first canceled our, our Sunday morning church service and decided to not hold it. And I thought, oh, yeah, this is this is happening. This is happening. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to um, to hear a little bit about um, just kind of how – what are some of the things that you're processing as we have been a, a few weeks into this crisis and this disruption to our everyday life? One of the things that I've been talking about a little bit on this pad, podcast already is how uh, God is, I feel like there's, um, we're, we're being given an opportunity, something special um, through this. And I don't want to minimize the hurt and the suffering and the pain that people are going through, but I do believe that that this is a significant season that, uh, that we are in. And so I'm just curious, what are some of the, the things that God may be, um, <clears throat> or some of the opportunities that may be coming out of this season in, in your relationship with God and maybe in, in a few others? Totally, man. It's a, a good question. Yeah, I think, so it's funny. I'm a little bit weird because pretty quickly, and you just said it really well, I'm quite concerned about people dying. I'm quite concerned about people sick. I'm concerned about, I, you know, I know a number of healthcare workers who are in the thick of treating and caring for people. They're pulling incredibly long days. I'm so grateful for the way that they're serving our countries and God in the midst of all this. Um, but from almost the beginning, I, I kind of had the sense that there would be a lot of opportunities in this season um, and I'm not always sure where that came from. Like, I, I think a lot of Christian leaders right now, they're torn between two instincts. One of them is the pastoral side. You know, how do I care for people? How do I provide stability, comfort, all of those kinds of things. And that's all really good and legitimate. But I think there's a separate sort of instinct intention, which is what are the opportunities right now? Uh, what doors are being kicked open? Maybe, you know, what might God be up to? Uh, and so even just personally for me, um, I think one of the things is I've been reminded uh, just at the way that God moves people. Like I, as I've been talking to people in my congregation, friends, I've heard a lot of really amazing, mostly little stories of how people in the midst of this are turning to God and they're saying, you know, God, I'm basically staying home all day. How do I serve you? And, and they've been coming up with some really neat answers. And so people are laying away money that they normally wouldn't because they know needs are coming. Another person uh, who has a, a higher level, I would say, of social anxiety made the commitment to start phoning a few people every day. Like there have been, for each person, uh, just these interesting radical steps. And I think for me, uh, the big thing has been thinking about fear. Uh, you know, mostly I've had a pretty positive outcome outlook in the midst of this. There have been a few times though, where I think the weight of being a leader in the midst of this has been sitting on me, you know, the questions of how do we reposition the church to respond effectively, not to keep our bills paid. How are we going to be like in our church, our catchphrase is go and be the people of God. Every service ends with that. So how are we going to go and be the people of God and how do we sort of rearrange and, you know, so do we do live services or recorded services or small groups or, you know, how are we going to catch needs through our community and outside our communities and all this stuff. Anyways, uh, there've been a couple days where the weight of that really hit me. I, and I, I was just reminded Actually, of the story of David, when he comes back and they discover that uh, him and his army come back, they, they went to war with the Philistines, actually on the Philistines' side, 
and they come back and they find that their whole town has been ransacked and their wives and children have been kidnapped. And it says that David just took strength in the Lord. And without in any way sounding like I'm more spiritual or better than I am, uh, I just had some really neat moments of saying, you know, Lord, actually, this is affecting me more than I thought. Mm -hmm. And God bringing me peace and giving me freedom to know that I can fail as a leader in this time. I can fail as a father, as a husband, uh, but also that he's with me and teaching me stuff. Uh, and on the flip side, like I said, so on the one hand, there's sort of this fear piece, but it, it's making me think about a, actually maybe the best way to sum it up is a conversation I had with uh, one older person who said to me, you know, if I get it and I die, I'm going home to be with Jesus. And so they weren't making light of it, but they said, you know, if I, if I die sooner, it saves me years of declining health. Uh, and in the meantime, I can live with hope. And, and that simple sort of phrase from that person just uh, deeply encouraged me and reminded me, uh, this is a few days before Easter, it reminded me what we're all going to be celebrating in a few days, that, you know, death is serious, but death doesn't have the final word. Uh, so anyways, those are a few of the things that have been, I think, just going on for me. Uh, and and therefore, I've been thinking really about what you're talking about in the podcast. You know, what are the opportunities, not just for the church, but for me personally, mm -hmm. uh, in my different roles, in my work as a pastor, but also a husband, father, neighbor, friend, family member. How do I just be present to God and and do whatever little or small things? And and mostly, it's all little stuff that He brings my way. What are you thinking about, man? Yeah, I think uh, I shared a little bit about it in the first episode of the podcast. But the uh, the big thing that's been on my mind is um, where we where we put our security in. Psalm ninety six says that the the gods of man or the idols of man um, they're just man made. They don't have any power, but God sits enthroned in the heavens, right? And so I was reading that through a week and a half or a week ago, and I just couldn't get past that verse. And mm -hmm. I was thinking about that, and I'm just like. I think it's really easy for us to, um, it's really easy for us to say, you know, we don't put our trust in, you know, the things of this world, we put our trust in God. Like, that's a really easy thing to say, but I think it's really, especially given, you know, the stability of our, you know, systems, it can be really easy to put our trust in things of this world. But I think in the last few weeks, what we've seen is the reality that, yes, the idols of man are just, they're man-made. The gods of man are man-made, that they don't have power, that we can't put our trust in these things. And I think God's inviting us to, to actually live in such a way that is completely abandoned to him and completely trusting him. And, and it's quite, it's humbling, I think. Um, to realize that, you know, like our security and our worth and the things that we find are um, even our like relational uh, security, all of these things, like things that we would find what we need, our desires filled outside of God. We've seen that all of these things right now are kind of either breaking, broken or have changed. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think we're in this season of like, do I really believe that God is enough? And um, I think he's inviting us to to actually see that he is. And yeah, I think it's what I was, it's so interesting because we often talk about this when we're talking about like third world countries or, you know, if you go on a missions trip to somewhere in a developing nation and you're like, oh, these people have to depend on God for everything. And it kind of gives you that perspective. Well, I feel like now we're all in that place, right? Like we're all, we're all kind of at this point where we need to, yeah, we can't put our trust in the systems and security of this world. We have to put it in God. And so I think there's an invitation there to, uh, to yeah, just pay deep attention to, to him and dive in 
Um, and yeah, I think the other thing that he's he's highlighting too is just the the importance of relationship. I think um, like I think there's there's a huge amount of um, just sentiment out there right now. Oh, I miss my friends. I miss my people. Like I, I don't like that we can't be together. Um, but I think underneath that sentiment is just a deep sadness that people have that you know they want to be together. They're lonely. And so I think God's, I think, you know, when we're able to be physically in the same rooms again, like they're, hopefully we don't take it for granted anymore. Like how good what we had what is, right. And to have each other, how good that is. Um, yeah. yeah, I know we chatted a bit last week. Um, do you mind if uh, we just pastor and nerd out for a second? I know there's going to be some church leaders watching. Um, yep. I'm just, I heard your church is not doing a live stream service. Uh, you guys are going kind of a different direction. I would just love to hear why that is. And, um, and yeah, just maybe some of the cool stories that you have out of that. Um, Cause I think that'll help bridge towards the rest of our conversation in some ways. And it might also give some other pastors that are kind of hitting their heads against the wall, some ideas. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I, I suppose a, a preface, the church I come from has a, a strange routine every summer where there's some weeks where we don't have a church service at all. There's some weeks where we just have barbecues and things like that, or we go camping and invite our friends. Um, and there's some weeks that we have normal services. So I think because of that, when this all started and we stopped having a Sunday service, the disruption for our community is probably significantly less pronounced than it is for most communities because all of the people who have been around for very long are used to some some degree of that and as a spoiler i can tell you man you will have such a joy when we all gather again uh, every fall we have that every fall we come back to our full weekly normal schedule uh, and it's like people have been are experiencing christmas for the first time or something as a little kid except it's church people are so glad to be there the room radiates and it's a really cool thing so anyways our my instinct I think because of my environment was not that I needed to worry as much about sort of creating some semblance of normal for our church as it was to ask the question, what are the opportunities of this time? And also we're in a, you know, long story short, we're in a season where we're talking a lot about how do we just be engaged with what God's doing? No more glamorous or less glamorous than that. It doesn't have to be big things, but what are the things that God has for us to do? So we're talking about, you know, the fancy word is being missional. How do we be missional? And so as we're doing that, and also another one of our seasonal priorities is being prayerful, uh, being a people of prayer individually and together. And so as we went into this, that was the foundation I was working from. Um, and so in the end, I decided not to try to preserve the Sunday service. We have done some video recordings of messages, um, and we'll keep doing that off and on. I, I don't feel the need to do that every week. Um, I think one of the things we talked about last week, listen, I, like I'm such a deep believer in good Christian teaching and the role of teaching in our lives. But if the availability of good teaching was going to save the church, then the church would be the most vibrant in North America that it's ever been in the history of the world. Cause we have more access to great teaching and great, you know, worship, worship through music, all those things than anyone's ever had. Um, so, you know, I think it's important that I speak and other pastors speak to their people, but uh, I, I just don't think there's for our context, there wasn't as much of a need to, to just keep pumping out more stuff. But on the flip side, the thing I am concerned about 
uh, is that we connect as the church. I'm concerned. Some of us are really well-connected families, other church members, stuff like that. We have great support networks, but our communities are always full of people who are not like that. And I'm concerned about those people. And I'm also concerned about each member of the church thinking about this missionally and thinking, you know, man, that friend from high school, maybe now is the time that I should give him a call or, you know, the neighbor across the street or who are, you know, one of the questions I asked our people to consider and I've been thinking about is who are the people I know who are most likely to be vulnerable in the midst of this? Yeah. And, you know, can you fire them a text, give them a call? Uh, so anyways, we went to creating COVID small groups. Uh, and during the Sunday morning worship time, we meet in small groups, we pray, we, there's a bit of content and just helping each other orient our hearts and minds to God. Uh, we talk about how people are doing. I don't know if you can hear one of my children is screaming in the background. Oh, yeah. but, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> it's real life, man. <laughs> yeah. I love being a father. Oh, yeah. uh, she yeah. doesn't like the Sunday morning small groups, I guess. This is maybe how she feels yeah. about our plan as a Probably, church. Yeah. yeah, I just want you to stream. <laughs> Hopefully you'll hear the baby who's napping wake up yeah. soon. You and <laughs> forest wailing. Anyways, yeah, so we went to these small groups, and, and they're really designed to just help us keep connecting with one another with God, uh, but also to be caring for one another, caring for our neighbors. I'm keenly aware that I might not know everybody who gets laid off, and I certainly don't know your friends that get laid off, but as a church, we want to be thinking and praying about where's God inviting us to help. So that was our instinct. There's other stuff we're doing, certainly, uh, but that was the, one of the big questions on all, I think, church leaders was what should we do? Should we do a Sunday morning service, live stream, record it, all that? And so in our case, uh, we felt pretty free to not keep up a normal service. And thus far, I think it's been fruitful and profitable. Yeah, because as, as you're aware, part of the reason why I wanted to start this podcast is because I think we, we can almost live off of the experiences of, you know, that great teacher or this person that is really, you know, articulate or able to help us understand the Bible or this worship leader that's really anointed. We can almost, we can almost like feed off of their life with God. And, yeah. and, um, and the problem with that is when we don't cultivate our own life with God, it really, um, yeah, I think it just, we kind of just go from service to service to service. And, um, and I don't know if you've seen that, uh, church hunters YouTube video. Have you seen no. it? It's like house hunters, except church hunters. And so they tour <laughs> the sanctuary. they're like, Oh, the bathrooms are a little too far from the sanctuary at this church, but this church has really good teaching. Oh, but that worship leader was really good looking. It's like, <laughs> we kind of take that man. It's satire, but at the same time, it's so true, right? Where, you know, we have that attitude. Um, and so I think it's really, I want to commend you for taking a different approach and, and really believing in, you know, a biblical concept that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, either today or at another point in this podcast, but the priesthood of all believers that, you know, you don't, you know, there is something to be said about the teacher and the pastor really helping bring an understanding of the word to people, but not at the expense of them, um, you know, finding what God wants to say to them through, through his word. And, and yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's cool what you guys are doing. Um, it's funny you just said that. Sorry, if I can quickly tell a story. One of the, a really challenging moment in my experience uh, as a pastor and as a Christian was when yeah. I realized, I think I think more highly, and I had a short list of names. You know, it would have been like Dallas Willard and Tim Keller and N.T. Wright, yeah, maybe yeah, Scott Bethany yeah. and Mark Buchanan, people like that, yeah, local yeah. people in our church. But like, I think, I think more highly of them than I do of Jesus. And I think I, like, I almost worship them and and i thought about that story in exodus yeah where uh 
the people are like, you know, Moses, you go up the mountain. We don't want to talk to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and perfectly appropriate in the old covenant. But the thing is, when you get to the new covenant, the veil is torn. Hebrews says you're invited up the mountain. Everybody yeah. is to climb up the mountain, the mystery, the danger of ascending to see God. And, you know, I remember being deeply confronted by that, thinking, gosh, something's off when I'm more worried and hanging more closely on the words of, of Tim Keller than I am of Jesus or something like that. Uh, and not, of course, to, you know, teachers have a role in our lives and they help us. And that's a God given gift uh, to us. But yeah, that it was really humbling. I remember when I was hit with that. Yeah, this is totally. a really good chorus from the other room here. <laughs> your wife, your wife. Hey, I mean, one of the things God's doing in us husbands that have to stay home now with our kids is realizing how amazing our wives are, right? Like, how <laughs> oh, much, I mean, I've always known, but it's like, you do a lot. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. for sure. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think that really, I think, that really bridges well to what I wanted to spend spend our time talking about today because um, again one of the things that that I thought of as I was thinking about um, about yourself and as I was talking to some mutual friends that we have one of the things that we were kind of bantering about is um, why should we care about this like why is spiritual disciplines why is our life with God why is uh, reading your Bible prayer scripture community fellowship like why are those things important and, um, and uh, like, and honestly, like when I was talking to those friends, the first person that came to my mind was yourself. Cause I was like, you just have such a, um, just an amazing way of articulating, uh, some of those, those answers. And first off, before we get to that, I'm just curious, like, why, why is it important to you? And why do you, like, why are you so excited about seeing people grow in these things? Mm. Mm. Um, you know what, honestly, my answer for everybody and my answer for me, though, my experience is often like it's more personal. The answer for me are pretty much the same. I, I remember taking a leadership course once yeah. and it was really helpful, actually, in all kinds of ways for life, because it said basically leadership is to answer a couple of questions. Why can't I stay here and why should I go there? Uh, and when we talk about spiritual formation, those questions have to be the first ones on the table. Why can't I stay here? Why wouldn't I stay here? Why would it be awful to stay here? Mm-hmm. So, you know, what's the, the negative stuff driving me to get out of this place? And on the flip side, what's the positive stuff luring me uh, and alluring me forward? And, and that, I think, is a question. So for me personally, like, l- let's get really practical. Um, I, I told you a few minutes ago... I have wrestled with fear my whole life. And, and I think the more self-aware anybody becomes, the more they realize any one of us, we have deep faults. I have faults with fear. I have faults with anger. Um, there's, you know, there's times when I, you know, the kids screaming out there, there's times when I let them down so bad when I hurt the people that I love the most because I can't keep my temper. Uh, there's times when I'm cheap, when I'm stingy with my time, with my affection, with my love, all these things. Uh, and, and where I have seen how badly I've hurt the people I love the most, let alone anybody and everybody else. Uh, and so some of that is the like, why can I not stay here? Honestly, I don't want to live a life of fear. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be so easily, you know, triggered in certain circumstances 
uh, and then act in regrettable ways that, you know, someday my kid's going to be sitting in a therapy room. I mean, they will anyway, that's true for every parent, but you know, as little as possible, right? Like I, I, you know, we're talking about the ones that we cherish. Uh, I, I want to see my impact on my community and my world grow. And so on the flip side, you know, I often think actually when you really grasp the biblical invitation to a life of maturity, it has to grip you. Yeah. You know, when you become aware of how much you are trying desperately to secure your place, your identity, how you're, you know, like what role it is that wealth is playing in your life and why it's so hard to give it away. Yeah. Uh, why are you so cheap with your time and affection? Why is your default response always take care of yourself first? Mm -hmm. uh, the more aware of that stuff you become. And I think when you meet people that just don't live quite like that, yeah. like, I mean, maybe this would be a quick aside, but maybe just think about like, who's one of the people when I think somebody who's just radically holy that, you know, uh, and so, you know, I, I didn't pre think about this, but mm -hmm. I, I think about the way they walk into a room. I have somebody in mind now. I think about the way that they walk into a room mm -hmm. and people feel seen and loved and heard. And it's, it's transformed count lives countless lives. This is not a Christian leader. It's not somebody who's ever on stages. They would die if they were on a stage. Mm -hmm. uh, I think about the generosity. I've privately seen them uh, display. And then I wonder how many ways have they invested in others' lives that I have no clue. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and on and on the list goes. Anyways, so on the one hand, there's this like, there's bad stuff I want to get rid of. On the, on the other hand, I guess what I, I'm coming back to, when I read the virtue list of the New Testament, I don't, my eyes don't glaze over. Mm -hmm. I think, goodness, what would my marriage be like if I was 10% more loving and patient and kind and self-controlled? You know, if, if my natural uh, inclinations were more and more aligned with the heart of God, mm -hmm. uh, I think about the, and so now to broaden it out, um, you know, like, uh, somebody asked me a great question recently, uh, a younger guy came to me and said, uh, and we we're talking uh, about lust. And he said, can it get any better? Mm. You know, like, has this changed for you? Yeah. And, and even there, uh, maybe I'm rambling now, forgive me. But, um, but so the answer, like, that's a great question, right? I, I wish everybody had the guts to ask that question. All good. I'm getting my Bible, Tim. You're, you're oh, beauty! You're you're getting your Bible. Why would you do that? Um. So, so <laughs> such a good question, right? Like, yeah. can it get any different? Am I stuck here? And and another one of the questions linked with it is: so often we view Christian maturity as just not doing bad stuff, mm -hmm. uh, and and it's this horrifically emaciated yeah. vision of Christian maturity. It's no wonder nobody wants this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so it's like, well, you know, I'd be good if I just didn't look at porn anymore mm -hmm. or something like that, as opposed to a question of like, what would it look like to flourish within the God-given gift of sexuality? What would your life be like if you could have healthy relationships with people of the opposite sex? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what would it be like mm -hmm. if instead of naturally being drawn into the wrong kind of thoughts, I, I remember another, another dad, maybe even you and I talked about this, mm -hmm. but what it's like when suddenly you realize, uh, you know, so as a man, I'm realizing I've never seen a woman that's not somebody's daughter and I have three of them. Yeah. Uh, and, and realizing just like, can you imagine a world, uh, you know, I think about my secular friends and 
uh, I, I mean, now we're really going all over, but like, think about rape culture or the, you know, they say one in three women have been abused. I think it is you quote me on the right stats, things like that. And I think, you know, don't we want to go to a world where people are more self-controlled? Like, isn't that ironically, we don't agree about the way, but isn't that what Oprah's talking about? And isn't that what time magazine is talking about? And you know, everybody who's woke and all of this stuff, aren't we talking about how do we become a different kind of people and develop a different kind of society so that my daughters don't have to grow up in a world where people will instinctively look at them. And so on the one hand, there's the crappy stuff saying like, get out of here. And we all have those pains in our lives. And on the other hand, there's this allure of what if I could be like that? And there's this God implanted hunger to, to grow, to be more, you know, the first, sorry, I'll, I'll stop soon. This last thing, the first page of the Bible talks about how we're made to rule the world with God and walk with God. Yeah. Uh, when I was in Edmonton and we first got to know each other, your church spent a whole year on the, the idea of walking with God, as opposed to doing things for God. Yeah. Um, or getting things from God or living under or over God and trying to manipulate him. So, you know, the first page of the Bible says that deep human desire you have for your life to matter. Yeah. You may have a, a, a wrong sense of what that means. You might think that means you're going to found a world changing charity or, you know, lead a fortune 500 company or something like that. That's not what it's saying, but it's saying that your life was made to matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that you were made for significance, that God intended that you would grow into this extraordinary set of capacities and influence that you currently don't have, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and so anyways, fleeing, why don't I want to stay here? Why do I want to go there? Yeah. Uh, and, and I just think practically, I, all the counseling I do is about one of those two things. Uh, and my own counseling people have done with me. It's about those two things. It's it's about this vision of a life secure mm-hmm. beyond death, speaking of relative to COVID, yeah. uh, of a security that transcends death, that transcends material wealth or, or material want, uh, and, and, and of this narrative of love that frees you to walk in this world in a different way for the benefit of everybody and for the glory of God. So good. Yeah, I grabbed my Bible because as you were talking, Galatians 5 was just one of the passages that just popped into my brain. <laughs> Um, cause it gives such an amazing picture of the contrast between, you know, life with God versus life in the flesh. Um, and, um, I love the promise right at the beginning of Galatians five sixteen. it says walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then it kind of lists off all of those bad vices that we talked about. Um, but then Paul ends by saying the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of life with God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us walk by the spirit just such an awesome invitation that we're given as followers of jesus to live those things and like you said these are the things the world is so hungry for especially right now like love hope joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness like it's amazing um this is the life of christ likeness and this is what flows out of us as we grow in maturity in Christ likeness. And it's interesting because um, Mark Sayers recently released a book called reappearing church. 
And in it, he talks about secularism is basically the world trying to get this Galatians 5 stuff without Jesus. Hmm. Like, yeah, that's right. Isn't his phrase like the kingdom without the king? The kingdom without the king, exactly. And so it's just like, how do we live a life that's submitted to that king so that our lives reflect these things? Um, but one of the things, I talked about it again a bit last week, but I'd love to hear, I know this is, uh, this one's off the top of your head. I didn't give you a warning on this one. But um, I think it's a Willard quote where he says, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Is that mm. Willard? Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, how do you how do you enter into that tension where Christian spirituality is yes is what God produces in us this whole life of um, the fruit of the spirit this whole life of growing in maturity yes it's something God produces in us so that's the grace part but there's also effort there's also work there's also posturing ourselves for that how do you reconcile that tension because I see verses in the scriptures there's lots of there's lots of them that are kind of heavy on the the grace you know abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And then you see, beat your body, make it your slave. Um, and yeah, how do you live in that tension in regards to spiritual formation, mm -hmm. spiritual disciplines? And then we'll get into some of the questions that we've been thinking about oh, already. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe I can start just two quick stories. So one, uh, in this house we're in, our basement's undeveloped. I told you we have an obstacle course for the girls. Uh, so the other day, well, it's a few weeks ago now, maybe we just moved in this house a few months ago. Um, I was helping build, this is in the obstacle course, but kind of like a house sort of really, it's just a roof and four posts for walls that the girls could play in and under. And I built it with my daughter, Emily. Um, and, and I was only going to build it. She said she wanted it. And I said, well, you got to build it with me. Uh, and so we went down, remember she's six years old yeah. and she got to use the measuring tape and she got to help mark the wood with a pencil and she got to help hold the drill or I would hold it with my hands, but then she would press the trigger. Uh, and of course, because I did it with her, uh, it was slower. It was a little sloppier than if I'd done it myself. But, but I guess the point is two things. Why would I do that? And like, don't, please don't push this analogy too far because I'm not God. Totally. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, the way Jesus compares imperfect earthly fathers with the heavenly father, let's do that here. So this imperfect human father, on the one hand, what did I do that? I did it because I delight to be with my daughter and it was a way to spend time with her. And the second reason I did it was so that she could grow in capacity because part of my job, in fact, a lot of my job as a parent is to help train and equip her to release her. You know, it's my job in a sense to prepare her for the day that I'll have very different and perhaps far less influence and certainly far less control over her life until I have no control over her life and just hopefully a relationship of love and respect. Good. So when I think about grace and, and effort, um, I honestly, one of the things is I have started to do the historical research the idea that the things are pitted against each other is is just flawed. It's bad church history. It's it's because of an unfortunate series of theological decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, first of all, you know, if you do the digging, you discover like, oh, we're the weird ones who have trouble with this. Yeah. Uh, this hasn't, you know, the idea that there's a Christian who it doesn't require effort to follow Jesus doesn't require a lot of it. That's something that's foreign to the church all through history. Uh, so that, that's a great starting place. But then I, I think just personally, um, 
it's actually quite honoring and freeing to realize on the one hand, I'm the kid, you know, I'm my daughter and, and I'm not the one really, I'm not the master architect here. I'm not the master architect of the church. I'm not the master architect of my own spiritual formation. Uh, I, there is stuff going on at levels that I do not understand and may never understand. Uh, but on the flip side, God honors my consent, my yes, my engagement, you know, to flip a, a popular cultural conversation. Uh, God's really into consent. He really is. He wants your yes. And there's a lot of things, you know, he won't do without your yes. And, and so anyways, I, I think when I read scripture, you have to get rid of a huge portion of it if you think that you're not going to have to do anything as a follower of Jesus. Uh, you have to get rid of like the second half of all of Paul's letters and a huge portion of Jesus teaching, you know, just one example in the Sermon on the Mount, most famous sermon ever preached. Almost a third of it, I think, is Jesus saying in different ways repeatedly, would you just put what I'm saying into practice? Which, <laughs> like, I don't know how you read that and don't come up with, I guess I have to try. Yeah. Or I guess I have to do something. So anyways, that... I, for me, I, I always sort of saw that. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the few things I think I've always seen that hasn't changed. Yeah. Um, I certainly understand it differently now than I used to, but I guess just to, I said, I'd tell you two stories. So here's the second story. So yes, strive, dive in, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it go hardcore even uh, and hardcore might not just mean what you think it means. Uh, you know, some, and maybe we'll talk about that more later. You know, sometimes we just have a bad idea of what it means to actually lean into this process. Yeah. But I guess the story, I, I was reading the story of Peter uh, and, and just Peter's, well, actually it, it was just before Jesus is crucified and Jesus says, you know, uh, Peter, Satan's demanded to sift you like wheat. Imagine Jesus saying that to you. Um, and, and Peter and everybody else say, Hey, I'll be with you to the end, Jesus. Hmm. Uh, and, and if I could sum it up, they think they have what it takes. They think that they have arrived. Mm -hmm. and, and here's the beauty of what happens after that. Of course, Peter denies Jesus. He finds out what Jesus already knew, was that, which is that he didn't have what it takes. Uh, he wasn't there yet. He wasn't spiritually formed. Mm -hmm. But then the beauty of this, and so back to this idea of like God's part and our part, God uses Peter's crushing discovery that he does not have what it takes to make him into someone who has what it takes. And so then there's the story of the restoration. And then if you follow church history, three decades later, Peter gets crucified. He goes to the place that three decades before he'd said, Lord, I'll never walk away from you. But he wasn't spiritually formed to do that yet. And Jesus uses his failure. Mm -hmm to make him the person he thought he already was. And so, you know, like, it's just this, I, a couple of years ago, that struck me in a new way as I thought, you know, the Holy Spirit and what God's up to in our formation is this wild card mm -hmm. that, that blows open all the possibilities. Good. You know, our conception of how this might happen, mm -hmm. uh, we're invited to be thoughtful. We're invited to be intentional. We're invited to be smart about it. You know, people who say Christians know too much and they just need to do more. That's a really stupid false dichotomy. I've never met somebody who knew too much. Yeah. I, and certainly I've also met people who needed to do more, uh, you know, like that. Why would you pit those things against each other? Anyways, it's, it's really comforting to me to come back to this place of, so yeah. 
we can talk about our role and our place and the stuff that we have to do and lean in. And this isn't just for pastors who got to go to seminary. You know, this is for stay at home parents and this is for janitors and it's for teachers and it's people who work 60 hours a week, spiritual formation, the, the doorway to it is open to everyone. It doesn't matter what your life is. Certainly it's costly, but it's open to everybody. Totally. There's, there's no prerequisites anyways, but you can rest in the fact like there's a pretty smart architect at work, not just behind the scenes, but on the scenes. And so even as we're in these times of COVID, God's up to stuff. And, you know, I'm sure he's up to stuff in me that I am unaware of. And someday I'll look back and I'll think, wow, God, thank you for doing that. That was brilliant. I would never have got there on my own. And I think we'll all be telling those stories. Our churches will be telling those stories. Yeah. I have a lot of hope about that. Yeah. What are you thinking as I'm blabbing again, but. No, that's amazing. I, I can tell it's something you've given a lot of thought to, which is really cool. Um, but it, it's, it's interesting because I think one of the one of the amazing things that God does is, is we um, like he transforms us without our really even knowing about it, I think. And so when I think about God's work versus our work, it's like, we, yeah, we put in, we, we take time to read our, read the Bible. We take time to pray. We take time to go deep in worship. We make those things a priority. And, and I think in um, what God does is over time, he transforms us. I think for me, one of the examples is, um, and this is just a really practical example, and I'm sure we'll do a whole podcast on this eventually, but um, the, um, I really, I got into a season where, where I was working at the House of Prayer Edmonton, and so I was praying, we would, our prayer room was open from nine to noon every weekday, and we'd be in there praying, and one of the, one of the things that they really try to talk about is praying the scriptures, mm. and so we, rather than coming with a list, like I do this, 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 and this from God, you'd come and you'd need a scripture. And so you'd be like, Ephesians three says, you know, like this, the prayer of Paul in Ephesians three, that we'd be filled with the knowledge of the love of God, you know, how high, how wide, how deep, how long it is. And then we'd pray out of that. So we'd, we'd read the verse and then we'd say, Lord, I pray that the city would know your love. Like this is the kind of way that we prayed. And, and that was a discipline for me. It was something that I had to think about and I had to, to learn and I had to do and and so for a long time i started doing those things but it was probably about it was i don't even it was probably a good year before i noticed this but what god had done in me during that season is he completely changed how i related to him in prayer mm. um, where i would have been very honestly selfish in my prayers a year earlier taking the time to pray the scriptures regularly god actually kind of reoriented my heart and i noticed that the things that I was praying now weren't selfish. They were scriptural, if that makes sense. Like, and, and even still to this day, that was about 10 years ago. Um, even still to this day, I, I notice when I'm praying for people, I'll often like the first thing that would come to my mind is different promises of scripture or things that scripture says about us. And, and it's really cool because it wasn't something that I had set myself towards. It wasn't like, Lord, I need you to change how I pray because my prayers are selfish. It yeah. was, you know, I'm going to give myself to like really praying the, the Bible, like really, and really like letting yeah. my prayers be a reflection of God's heart. And, and it's cool because when we put our, yeah, when we decide to, to posture ourselves for God to do something in us, he, he does that work that we can't do. And, but I think we live in a culture that wants everything right now, right? Like we yeah. want, we want to be more loving, more patient, more self-controlled. We, we just read Galatians five. We want yeah. all that, like, today like 
fast food, Lord. Give me these things. Like, fill me with your spirit that I can be all these things right Uber now. Eats it. You know? What's that? I said Uber Eats that. Yeah, Uber Eats. Yeah, I could use some fruit, Lord. Delivery yeah, free, right? House. I'll, tip the, I'll tip the angel that brings it. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, the reality is, like, spiritual formation takes time like it and um and i think when we're thinking about our effort versus god's effort when we truly over seasons give ourselves to to consistent spiritual disciplines or practices um the work that god is able to do in us as we make ourselves available to him is just phenomenal um but uh yeah i think it's not a, it's not a fast food it's a over seasons oh man so yeah. i think you just nailed two of the biggest barriers to spiritual formation but let me ask a question first before i because maybe okay. uh, it, it was just the culture of house of prayer that you were supposed to pray scripture right it wasn't yeah. that you one day said oh, i should pray scripture they just told you no they told me i had to yeah yeah so, yeah so for sure one of the things i've learned over the years so one of the things about our cultures were so individualistic yeah um, and that means that even the authority figures we like you know the pot we were talking before about the podcasts that we listen to or things like that um, they're consultants, you know, and the thing about a consultant is you want their advice until you don't want their advice and then you get rid of them. And we treat God like that. And we treat Christian yeah. leaders like that. And we treat people who have way more maturity than us like that. Those of us who are younger, you know, the older I get, and I'm not that old, I'm still, I consider myself young. I realize, uh, how many times I've had this attitude of like, man, well, I really know. And then I get older and inevitably I discover some things that people before me knew. Yeah. Uh, and so anyways, on the one hand, there's this whole business of what if somebody told you what to do yeah. instead of it all being on you? And I get that there's abuses of that. Sometimes I get that there's bad stories, but like your doctor screwed up before. Uh, you still go to a doctor when you're sick, right? Uh, so, you know, anyways, that's, that's the one piece. And the other piece is just the time frame. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we need to realize that right now we have this perspective that God should transform lives in minutes. And sometimes he does, uh, no question. But mm -hmm. often the work of formation is a work of years and decades. And so the question of like my journey with fear mm -hmm. is going to be a 20 or 40 or 60 year journey. Mm -hmm. uh, and so on the one hand, I've already seen some cool ways where I think God has met me and begun to chase change me and loosen the hold mm -hmm. uh, but on the flip side it didn't happen in two weeks yeah. uh, anyways i just i, I sometimes wonder we're, we're all put in this position mm -hmm. um of like supposed to be the ceo of the company who decides when we fire the consultants and and it's funny that one of the classic spiritual disciplines is somebody who's further down the road than you mm. um, of you submitting yourself to mm -hmm. their guidance mm -hmm. uh, and them saying hey you know what you need to do this and you need to stick with it yeah yeah there's a passage in hebrews i don't know it's remember our leaders do you know which passage that is yeah 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 verse, uh, 10, verse 2 oh uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm usually really good at the verses just not the address <laughs> yeah, totally man i uh, yeah, now you yeah, that reminds me of um, of that verse in Hebrews where it says, remember our leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, um, seek to emulate their way of life. Way of life, yeah. Um, I'm curious, in um, in this whole journey of spiritual formation, um, like what, what does that, what do you feel like that has to do with it? Like a vision for who we can become. Um, again, not, not to look at other people and say, I want to be like them in a consumeristic way, but 
what are some ways that um, as we talk about having a vision for growing in Christ-like maturity, you know, and, and in light of Hebrews 10, remember the people that, and, and, and look, look up to them. And Paul even says, emulate me as I emulate Christ. Like, what yeah. do you think? What do you think um, in our journey in growing Christ-likeness, how can we learn from those who, um, who we kind of put before us? Um, again, not to elevate them above Jesus, like we mentioned earlier, but. No, no. Yeah, yeah that, and that's always the tension, right? Paul says, follow me like I follow Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, this idea that there are people ahead of us in the journey. Mm -hmm. There's people in my church, you know, one of the ironies of being a young pastor is I preach to people further ahead than me every single time I preach. Uh, and there, and every topic, there's people that are way further than me yeah. in, uh, and often, you know, rather than some kind of competitive thing, I think, gosh, what would so-and-so say, you know, it may not be their gifting or their role to speak this morning. Although sometimes I just interview them. I've started doing that because I think, gosh, they are better at this than me. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I, I think one of the things it does is when you see uh, well, maybe one of the phrases actually is uh, there's certain things in, in life with God that have to be caught. They're hard to teach or they can't be taught. Yeah. So caught, not taught. Um, and so, you know, like, I, I guess I'll just give an example. Um, what I've learned, I, I read a book recently, uh, a year ago, maybe from another pastor. Um, and one of the things I think God's taught or a big part of my wife and I's journey is from being really cheap to learning to be generous. Mm. Uh, and so anyways, we've made some progress, I think. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to elevate that unduly. I'm not saying we're the most generous people in the world by any stretch, but you know, we're not where we were and um, we've learned some things about it and I think put them into practice. Uh, and anyways, I was reading this book that a friend of mine wrote and he talked about how a couple different times in his life, God led him to give his car away. Mm. And, and I was reading it. And what it did was it put a new thing on my map. And this is what I think people ahead of us sometimes do. Mm -hmm. They violate our understanding of normal in a really great way where they say, what if it was, you know, we all say everything I have is God's, uh, you know, or, or we can quote second Corinthians eight, where it says, you know, like when you think about giving, consider Jesus, who though he was rich, became poor, that you might become rich, give like that. Yeah. Uh, and then we can easily put that into a box that says, well, I guess I give away 10% of my money um, or I, you know, and, and it can, or I give away 3% of my money and only where I'll get a tax receipt. Uh, and only if, you know, the bonuses look good for this year and, and we can build these boxes and, and be really convinced mm -hmm. that we are walking in this incredibly mature way. And then I think we meet people who mm -hmm. just open up doors. And so what that story did for me is I thought, gosh, I've never even thought, I, I mean, I've, I've never even thought about like, Lord, you might want me. He gave away his van and he had a big family, which meant that they could never travel in one vehicle. It was utterly impractical, hmm. uh, but he was quite sure God let him to do it. Wow. Uh, and the fruit of it afterwards seemed to be that God let him do it. Anyways, uh, so I could think of all kinds of examples in my life where my peers were people uh, younger than me, even newer to Christ, and were people way further than me, often people that are far down the road or just people in their areas of greatest strength have redefined normal for me. And they've said, you know, like, it's all on the table and, and reconsider again what it means that your life isn't your own and, and that you just have to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Anyways, that I, I don't know. I, I could think of all kinds of stories where people yeah. have, have done that kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. It's just because, yeah, as we talk about why is this important, I think it's really, 
it's it's cool to kind of set people before us and like in some ways it's not again it's not idolizing them but it's saying like you know i see that person as super generous or patient you know and and there is something to be said about learning from them and and seeking yeah. to know like what are the ways that they've been cultivating you know their their walk with christ so that patience is a fruit um totally one one thing super fast sorry i'm monopolizing oh, now sorry. but um I think one of the things we have to be honest about is that some people mature way more than others. Mm -hmm. uh, and even if you take into account uh, people begin at different places, some people have way more broken backgrounds that they come out of, yeah. but even the ones who come out of the most broken backgrounds, there are some people that we know that are way more like Jesus than others. Uh, and without being like, we need to be careful about talking like that and thinking like that and, and all of that stuff. Uh, but you know, we've almost lived in this place in the West of denial mm -hmm. that you could become far more godly than yeah. you are. Yeah. Uh, and because we've made sort of following Jesus largely optional, you don't have to do any of this stuff. Just pray a prayer and you're forgiven. And I'm not saying you're not, but like that's the end as opposed to, you know, the first step through the doorway. Um, because of that, I think we've sometimes left ourselves in a place where we won't honestly admit, you know what, some people who, you know, to quote Jesus, uh, hear his words and put them into practice and they do it in and out of season and God does what only God can do. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying again that they'll be the Christian leader. Many of them are the servants. Many of them are the people that are always behind the scenes. Some of them are not even known as really mature in their churches because their lives are largely spent elsewhere. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like not, anyways, there are people who are way more mature and we should look to them and ask them, how'd you get there? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and what happened? Uh, mm -hmm. And anyways, that's, that's been part of my journey. I've been fortunate, I think, to just have some of those people who really redefined some things for me. And I thought, gosh, if I could be 10% more like, and then I feel, uh, if I could just learn that one thing mm -hmm. and it wasn't just their natural personality. Uh, it was a process of spiritual formation undertaken over years and decades yeah. that led to a remarkable Christ-likeness. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I think we, we want to, I want to get to some really practical stuff as we kind of start to, to wrap up. But the, yeah. what I want to do before that is we've used this word spiritual formation a lot. Now I know that there's some negative connotations around spiritual formation um and i'm just curious what um yeah what do, when you hear spiritual formation what what does that word mean to you and why is it important for us um just and and yeah i think let's try to be as practical as we can uh, as we think about this but yeah just because i know i've heard um you know some people like it they hear spiritual formation is almost this fear of of it like maybe it's too catholic or whatever like mm -hmm. i've heard all these different i haven't bought any of those <laughs> many of those arguments or any of them really. Um, but, um, or too self-centered. That's another thing that I've heard about spiritual formation. Sure. On us. But yeah. So how do you define spiritual formation? I don't think we're going to argue against those things today. That's not the point, but what, no, do you, no. yeah, how do you define spiritual formation and then why is it important? Sure. Uh, the short answer, uh, is the process where between my own cooperation and what God does. And again, the emphasis is on what God does. Uh, where I start to live my life the way Jesus would if uh, if he was me. Uh, that's borrowing from Dallas Willard. If you want a, a less jargony version, uh, how do I become? Spiritual formation is the process of becoming somebody who's ready and capable of responding like Jesus would 
in the normal daily circumstances of our lives, awesome. uh, ready and capable, uh, and it's instinctive. And and I guess that if I the one more level of detail would just simply be. Um, so often we view Christian maturity as like, oh, I'm going to try so hard. You know, I'm going to like do two more spiritual pull-ups uh, <laughs> as opposed to the idea that you do the pull-ups so that someday when you need to be strong for whatever stuff is arising in your life, you can, uh, and it flows, you know, when, yeah, anyways, I, I could go on, but that that's, I think, just this ready and capable, the, re, the changing of the, the, the neurology of our lives, of the autopilot, so that our first instinct is love. Absolutely. And it's like, it's interesting because I, I don't know you, but when I was younger, there was this big, and this kind of, this WWJD kind of had this popular, yeah. it had this pop pop Christian culture is all about WWJD. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And while I think that's a really good sentiment, I think at the heart of that, and I think a better, um, kind of a better way of thinking about it is, um, like, um, <clears throat> what would, sorry, I didn't, this is just kind of came out of my, I, I wasn't really prepared for this, but how, no. Why, why did Jesus react the way that he did and how, and rather than having to think when we're faced with a decision, would Jesus do this or would Jesus do that? Our character is becoming like him so that it's instinctual. Like you said, it's, it's not just, um, it's not just like, Oh, Jesus might do this or Jesus would do that. It's like, no, my character is in line with, with what Christ is would desire. It's an actual transformation of our desires and our heart, um, not just our actions. Um, whereas I find what would Jesus do is very much focused on actions. I think spiritual formation is really focused on our hearts so that our actions start to conform to Christ in even greater measure. Um, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I was actually thinking about that phrase too. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, just the way that connects. Totally. Um, so yeah, why, um, why do you think it's really important to be talking about spiritual formation? Um, in this season, especially like we're, we're in a season where I think one of the words that best that I've heard that best des describes what a lot of us, especially in the West are facing is disruption. Um, for some, it's very severe and very practical and it has to do with their health and their jobs and all this for others of us, it's, it's less severe. It's more, you know, maybe some of us are more busy or some of us are less busy. Um, but for everyone, I think disruption is a very, um, a good word to describe a lot of what is going on right now. Um, but um, why do you think this conversation is important now? Um, and what, uh, what opportunities might this be giving us, or God might be inviting us into in light of spiritual formation? Um, I think, well, I think I just want to jump back. I'll sort of answer your question, and then you can ask it again if you want. But um, <laughs> good. the opportunities we've talked about that a couple of times in the yeah, podcast, but um, so I, I'm just thinking about, you know, like, you know, this, but other people might not. So my wife has struggled with, with mental illness and with chronic pain, migraines, some seasons are really, really bad. Uh, and, and it's just crazy bad. And some seasons it's just a mild annoyance in our lives, mm -hmm. uh, but there's a cumulative weight to, too. anyways. So, over the years, it took me quite a while 
to start learning to ask the question in each season of life. You know, another one is that we have young kids. We both do. Uh, so what is God wanting to do right now? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, so I'm super analytical and people would probably figure out I, I'm naturally reflective. Uh, whether I'm good at it or not, I don't know, but that's my wiring. Um, and and so, like, I think about this stuff maybe more than the average person does. Yeah. But, you know, like, so you become a young parent or right now you're a healthcare worker and you're on the front lines and you're working 14 hours a day. You know, one of my friends, manager, amazing lady, she's working a crazy amount. So, you know, how is she going to find the time for, you know, spiritual disciplines? And the answer is that she may have less time for what we typically think of as diving into the word or inductive Bible study or scripture memorization. But you know what? There's a whole host of spiritual disciplines that are available to her. How can she readily throughout her crazy day keep coming back to a question like, Lord, let every face I see in the hospital, let me see your face in them. And then just watch how a simple question like that will change your interaction through the stresses, through the difficult meetings, through people getting sick, through people dying. Yeah. Lord, every face, this is you. Uh, or, you know, maybe there's a verse that they're just going to sit with. Uh, you know, maybe it's the Colossians 317. They just keep coming back to like, no, this isn't a problem that I don't have as much time to, you know, be quiet right now. And everything that I do, whether in word or deed, I'm going to do it all in the name, in the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, Lord, just help me do that. Maybe in their weakness and the fatigue, this is a season when they start saying, Lord, I need to have a source of sustenance. I need you to show up. Yeah. And they look for it. Uh, actually go into their day expecting that God is going to give them strength, wisdom, insight, uh, just the energy to keep going in, in their, so anyways, I, I guess to take it a little bit different direction. So that's one of the people, uh, you know, on the front lines and spiritual disciplines are wide open to them. Yeah. A young parent who in the midst of this, you're at home with your kids, uh, and it's busier than normal and it's harder. It's been cold in Edmonton and it's cold in Calgary and we're cooped up inside. Um, this is full of opportunities of things that God wants to do. So, you know, I guess my encouragement would be for everybody individually, but then as a family and, and certainly as a church to ask the questions, how would God want to use this disruption? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, like one of the verses my wife and I've come back to a lot in Romans five, uh, he talks about the gospel. You've been justified through faith. You have peace with God. And then he talks about how suffering leads to perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope because through the Holy Spirit, God's poured out his love in our hearts. And, and so there's this thing we don't talk about in the North American church much, which is that seasons of discomfort and outright pain and suffering are often some of the richest seasons for God changing us. And so honestly, we're embarrassed by verses like consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind in the book of James or the one I just said, um, we're embarrassed of the talk of embracing the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and listen, I'm not saying like, if you ask me if I've been happy every minute of my wife's, you know, illness or my own failings or, you know, my own fatigue as a parent, or, you know, I, no, of course not. That's mm-hmm. part of the formative process. Yeah. Uh, saying that you like suddenly start to love pain. Yeah. But when you start to see and trust 
that God is good and that God will not waste any. Mm-hmm. And when you just keep coming back and saying, okay, Lord, you know, whatever, you know, I'm mad at you right now, or I'm tired, or so beat up, right? You know, my marriage wasn't real good and now we're stuck together or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, when you start to have confidence, mm-hmm. God will use this. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Uh, it just changes things. So anyways, that, I just think the question to ask, um, certainly, you know, lament in a season like this, um, deal and acknowledge the pain, expect that you'll have good and bad days. The disruption will hit you in different ways. We know that, you know, neurologically and biologically, uh, we should expect it. But on the flip side, expect and ask God, what do you want to use this time to do in me and in us? Yeah, totally. That's so good. Um, and one of the, one of the ways that Christians have thought about these, the, the idea of spiritual formation, in a really practical way is something called a, a rule of life. Um, it's also been referred to as a rhythm of life. Um, it could also be referred to as spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. Um, and like I said at the beginning, and, and I'm hoping with this podcast is that each, each, um, each episode we release, we introduce a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice and we just banter about it with whoever, whichever friend I get to hook up with for, for so many friends, good people too. That'll be awesome. I'm stoked about it. Um, and so the, uh, but before I get to that, I'd love to just talk about what is a rule of life. Um, again, we're, I, I want to focus really on the practical, um, and then why is it important for us to, to live into that and to think about that as Christians, um, and, and yeah, I think we, we've already kind of discussed the whole God's work versus our work. I think as long as we're kind of settled there, we can really just get into the, the nitty gritty now. So what, what is it? Why is it important? And, um, and then what, um, yeah, if there's one thing that you'd want us to start thinking about, um, in regards to rule of life, like one really practical, um, step to take, um, totally. I think that's, that'd be good. So I'm just going to let you, uh, let you kind of go into that okay well so this will this will offend the uh academic purists but the simplest way i could describe a rule of life is uh you know lots of you have a budget that's a plan for how you're going to spend your finances lots of you don't um lots of you might have like a workout routine maybe you even have a book where you track you know on these days i'm going to do these exercises with the goal of health or with the goal, with a budget of financial fitness. So a rule of life is just looking actually not just at what you would think of as uh, spiritual, but looking at your whole life and yeah. saying, God, how are you inviting me into specific rhythms to shape who I am? You know, what are you up to in this season? And maybe pair that with what do the people ahead of me say that I should just be looking at or doing, you know, back to the discipline of guidance. Um, you start to list out some of those things. Some of them will be financial. Some of them will be relational. Some of them will be around things like silence, solitude, fellowship, community, friendships, the Bible, prayer. Um, but you'll come up with a list. And, and my word of practical advice would be your list probably shouldn't be that long. Uh, one of the realities of this place in life is, I mean, if you've been at this stuff for a long time, then maybe your list will be long and that's fine. A long list doesn't mean you're more spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, but for many of us, trying to introduce one or two things into our lives is as much capacity as we have. Yeah. 
And so limit it to one or two things. Uh, anyways, a rule of life is just simply that. So you might have some things that you do daily. You might have some things you do weekly, monthly, yearly. Um, and again, you can think not like certainly think in terms of reading the Bible, prayer, uh, you know, worship, but, but you also might think who are the people that when I go and I talk to them, it brings me alive to the kingdom. It lights the fire in me again. What are the books that I, you know, I read biographies a few times a year because they kindle a hunger, you know, back to the place where we started. Why would you do this? Even when you have a good answer to that question, everybody struggles with losing sight of it and losing the drive. And so one of the questions becomes not just what should I be doing, but how do I cultivate hunger yeah. for the kingdom of God? Yeah. Anyways, a real life is just uh, something you draft really practical, uh, to to address that and if i can just say two things in terms of the practical advice one is aim as deep as you can uh so jesus advice you know he says unless your righteousness surpasses that of the pharisees uh you'll never enter the kingdom your dad had this great phrase i remember once i don't know if it was his or somebody else but he said don't spray paint the fruit cultivate the roots uh, it's something like that. Lyle, forgive me if I got it wrong, but, but that's what I remember. Anyways, so aim at the roots. Don't just sort of aim at like, how do I clean up this one superficial thing? Uh, look at how do I become loving? How do I become generous? How do I become less selfish? Uh, how do I, uh, you fill in the blank, but aim as deep as you can affect the deep stuff. Cause if you deal with the roots, it'll affect all kinds of fruit. Uh, and you'll, you'll not be stuck in the futile effort of having to paint and repaint the fruit because yeah. it's not actually right because the roots are bad. So aim deep. Uh, and the second thing, just super practically, um, you know, we've been talking about, and this podcast is about getting out of consumer Christianity uh, and consumption, uh, the way of consumption, the identity of you as a consumer is one of the deepest foundational realities of our culture. And it's not all wrong, but the way it's become a religion is deeply problematic as a Christian. Uh, and so spiritual formation by Jesus will not leave us there. Yeah. Another one of the things that's problematic, though not inherently wrong, is the extent to which radical individualism uh, is, characterizes all of our lives. And so I guess what I'd say is when you think spiritual disciplines to make it really practical, what I just said was theoretical. So here's what it means. Mm -hmm. Don't jump from consumerism to individualism. Don't just say, okay, I'm going to go on this crusade crusade of all these things that I'm going to do mm -hmm. to cooperate with what God's up to in my life. Yeah. Ask questions like how maybe like I have a spouse or a friend or a parent who mm -hmm. will, you know, commit to the same Bible reading plan as me. Yeah. Um, maybe somebody else will start fasting. Maybe I should talk with my friend about like, how much do we give? Or is there a place we serve? Or maybe we're going to start, I'm going to start a group of, you know, guys or women who are, are just committed to learning to love their families like Jesus would. But if you try and do this on your own, you will not make it very far. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's one of the things we miss. We read the stuff in scripture and we think, oh, this is what I do. Their presumption in their culture was this is what we do. Yeah. Uh, and so anyways, like that, I, I told you before, but in our church, one of the most fruitful things that's happened in the last few years is people have started doing Bible reading plans together. And I'm hearing stories where people say, honestly, I never read the Bible. I always felt bad about it. 
Um, now I know some people, community is being formed. They're speaking into my life because the two sentences they write every other day at the end of the Bible reading, they note stuff that's feeding me. Uh, I'm getting more out of it. And oh my goodness, you know, one person came to me and, and before they're like, I could read half a chapter a day. Uh, and this year they're like, I'm going to lead a group that's going through the whole Bible in a year because I can do this. Yeah. And it was one of the coolest things to see that. And, and that's not an isolated story. Anyway, so increasingly the question I ask is, uh, how can I do this with others? Mm. Even if that's kind of a pain, how can I do it with others rather than trying to do it by myself? Certainly there's things I have to do on my own and so will everybody. Um, but I think we need each other at even these spiritual discipline levels more than we typically think or talk about. And I think that's actually a recovery of what was taught um, and a theme through the history of the church. Totally. Yeah. And I know um, we're kind of in a cultural moment where a buzzword is isolation, <laughs> which, yeah. is, which is really sad. And it's interesting. I noticed even, even here in the city of Edmonton, they've started to, they've stopped saying social distancing and they started saying physical distancing. physical yeah they're realizing that you know people people aren't just you know separating physically they're also checking out and kind of isolating themselves and i think that's one of the temptations of um um yeah that extreme response to a rule of life if you have it from an individualistic mentality um it yeah you you kind of can almost cut yourself off from community um, and it's, but it's cool though. I know even you were saying earlier that like you, you've been encouraging people to do podcast groups, like people that listen to podcasts together. Yeah. I heard another person from my CNC group was saying, you know, we should start a book club where everyone reads the same book and we talk about it. Um, just different ways that in this season of, you know, physical distancing, we can keep spiritually close to one another and actually help each other grow in their walk with God. Um, Absolutely. What? Sorry, you just reminded me of one more thing I was going to say too, and this is super fast. I'm everybody now knows I'm long-winded. It's the joke of my own congregation. Um, everybody has a rule of life, I think. Yeah. Um, just like, and and everybody is becoming someone. You are becoming someone. Someday you will be at the end of your life, however long or short that is, yeah. and and your character will be fixed. And all the time that's being influenced. So often people treat this like it's a neutral thing and I could do it, but if I didn't do it, um, then nothing's actually happening. And that's absolutely false. Every, again, everybody from Jesus to Oprah believes that everyone is getting a spiritual formation. You're becoming someone. And they believe that we can do something to affect the outcome of the process. And so one of the great questions of life is who are you becoming? And better than that, who did Jesus have in mind when he made you? Uh, and, you know, so to go back to my analogy with my daughter, mm -hmm. go hold the drill with your dad. Mm -hmm. You know, know wow. that your heavenly father is up to things that, that you could not even ask or imagine. Mm -hmm. um, but just keep leaning in and trust that his plans are good, mm -hmm. but show up. Um, mm -hmm. And, and you know, well, yeah, that maybe that's a topic for another day, but they, everybody already has, everybody has an exercise plan, whether it's written or unwritten. Everybody has a financial plan. Your money goes somewhere. Mm -hmm. Everybody is addressing their spiritual formations. The question is, do you know where the things that you're doing are leading and why are you doing the things you're doing? And you may discover that you're already 
uh, doing a lot of great things, engaging this process. And maybe you just didn't even think of them as part of your spiritual formation. Mm -hmm. uh, often, I think people have to discover that God hasn't abandoned them. You know, he's been leading them in different ways in their work life or their relationships or whatever to adopt habits, practices that they don't even think of as spiritual disciplines, but they are. They're leading them into Christ likeness. Anyways, I just, everybody has one. That is awesome. Um, so yeah, would you, um, would you maybe give us one, what's one like practical thing that anyone that's watching or listening to this can, can do? Like, I'm just, if you off the top of your head, like, yeah, what's one thing that you think you, you'd encourage people to do? Hmm. Uh, in terms of a real life, you mean? Yeah. In terms of our conversation today, like I know last week, my encouragement was for people to pray about what God may be inviting them into during this season. Um, that was a more practical thing. So is there something in light of what we just talked about today? What's one thing that may be a good hmm. practice to do? Yeah, totally. Okay. So then here's, here's one. Um, would you go to some of the key texts that describe Christ-like maturity? So you could go to John 15, you referenced earlier. Uh, you could go to Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Uh, you talked about Galatians 5, Colossians 3, 1 to 17. Uh, you know, I don't care, but go to a couple of those places yeah. <laughs> and, and then ask the question and start to dream, maybe even write a story. You know, if this became more true of my life mm -hmm. and start to flesh that out, dream about what it would look like to live more fully in the kingdom mm -hmm. uh, and, and ground it, you know, like, this is what would be different in my business. I'd be a different kind of manager. I'd be a different kind of parent. I'd be a different kind of neighbor. You know, that thing I've, I've always been afraid of and you fill in the blank or I'm always blowing up at and maybe I wouldn't. And what would, anyways, dream about what it would look like. Ask the spirit to share his dreams of Christian maturity with you uh, and, and see if that stokes your hunger a little bit. Hmm, that's so good. Um, and then you got one more question. One of the other realities of this podcast is um, to make recommendations. Like we said, there's a ton of good teaching out there. There's a ton of bad teaching out there. And so what, um, you know, what's, what's maybe a couple different books or resources that you found really helpful as you think of cultivating a rule of life or rhythm of life and also spiritual formation in general? Sure. Um, there's a, Oh, and I'll have to think. So there's this old sermon series that was life-changing for me. It was Tim Keller. Um, you, I might have to get back to you. It was all about the difference between a morally restrained heart and a supernaturally changed heart. It was all about this business of uh, your righteousness exceeding that of the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. and, and it just, it had a profound impact on me in terms of changing the way I thought about life with god good if you like more difficult higher brow philosophical stuff i you know probably nobody has influenced me the way dallas willard has at a really high level teacher um mm -hmm. yeah his book renovation of the heart is one that in this conversation is super helpful for me but. yeah yeah for sure and, and it's funny right like i you know so there's a lot of people eugene peterson's influenced me uh, and he right has influenced me that book with i think is a phenomenal book mm -hmm. about spiritual formation mckernan when i was there 
spent a year really dwelling on those themes. Yeah. I, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, but uh, if I can, if I can give one last story of a lesson I learned by failure, which mm -hmm. is relative to this. So like do lean into those resources, find good ones, dive in. But I remember once this really convicting question that I think the Holy Spirit gave me yeah. in retrospect, which was, what if you had spent as much time praying as you did reading about prayer? <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> Realizing, you know, like you've learned all these techniques and your prayer life is crap. <laughs> and oh, so like, listen, folks, it's not always glorious. And, and it's not, uh, you know, I don't read my Bible every time and think, my goodness, you know, this has changed everything. Mm -hmm. uh, like you said, Donovan, with, you know, learning to pray scripture, often you discover these foundational changes happen over time, but in the midst of it, you, you may or may not feel a lot going on. That's another one of the idolatries of our culture is everything's about feeling good in the moment right now. Yeah. Um, so would you take the risk of leaning in? You're going to lean into something. Uh, the cultural norm is you'll lean into distraction mm -hmm. uh, and, would you just lean into one of these things? Would you pick one of the ancient paths, find a decent teacher, mm -hmm. uh, and then stick on it for a while uh, and, and find somebody to go with you? And, and I think that's my most practical advice. I, you know, and Donovan knows I love these books and I have strong opinions about them, but, but that's the place where I'm landing is, so, uh, you know, don't find yourself in a place like I did where, the Holy Spirit has to whisper such a devastating line to you. <laughs> oh man, that's so good. Yeah, I heard a sermon, John Tyson, he preached on Sunday morning and he 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 said, um, if you've spent more time with the Tiger King than with the King of Kings since this COVID started, your priorities might be in the wrong place. <laughs> so kind of the extreme of what you were saying. <laughs> I was like, oh, I haven't watched the Tiger King yet, so I don't have to worry about that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Anyways, totally. thank you so much for your time. Thank you for doing your hair for this interview. I mean, I know it was a lot of work this morning. I combed uh, them all over. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure we'll we'll do this again. But yeah, just thank you so much for. for hey. Time. And I think I'm, I know that I've been blessed. And so I believe that others will, you know, the ones that persevered through the whole conversation. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> you don't have to apologize. It was so good. You just keep talking. Anyways, yeah. this was such a pleasure, man. Thanks. Thanks awesome. for having me do this and, you know, bless you. It, yeah. This is such a good thing. I'm glad to just be a little part of it. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Oh man, that was such an awesome time uh, hanging out with Tim. And I hope that you were able to glean a lot from that time. Hopefully it wasn't too much. I really wanna encourage you to, to take some time in, in what Tim encouraged you to do, those passages that really invite you into deep spiritual formation. And uh, ask, yeah, God, who do you see me becoming? Who do you want me to become? And let's give ourselves to obedience. Let's give ourselves as followers of Christ to growing radically in our walk with Him.